Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today we continue our worship series on what now. And perhaps you have felt that phrase cropping up in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit repeatedly over the last few days as many of us waited in the tension of the ambiguity of the election results. And that's one of the things that truly struck me as I waited, socially distanced, from my many family and friends, colleagues, and fellow siblings in Christ, and with my fellow citizens of this country, waiting to see what would happen. Because the problem with ambiguity is that it doesn't allow us to really confront where we are and look to start to make plans of where to go. If we don't know what we have to make a decision about, then we are stuck in the anxiety and sometimes the fear of the moment. And so even as I listen to so many, because my family, my friends, my church, and my country are very diverse, and people on all ends of the spectrum had different reactions to what was going on. It's been a very difficult time for those that we know and those that we love and those with whom we share our community. Living multiple months in isolation and in a pandemic, confronting the difficulty of becoming more and more digital and virtual as an entire nation, and then the struggle up until the election and then waiting to find out what would happen. And now that there is a decision and we know, we recognize that people have drastically divergent reactions to that news. Some of my family were very celebratory. Some of them were devastated. And so it continued through my circle of friends, through my circle of colleagues, through my very own church, my community, my state, and the nation. And I suspect that even throughout the world, There is a divergence in reaction. But we have to remember that no matter where we find ourselves today, no matter how we woke up this morning, that God has a very important message for us. And that is to keep our faith in God. And that no matter what the world throws at us or where we find ourselves, we are to be grounded in the hope and the promise of the word of God. And that's what's revealed to us this morning in the book of Numbers. It is part of the oldest books of the Bible, the Torah, the first five books in the Old Testament. And while I have a certain love and affinity for the New Testament, I love having four different gospel accounts that give us incredible insight and diversity into the stories and the remembrances about our Lord and Savior's earthly ministry. And while I can deeply appreciate the struggles of the early churches that are conveyed to us in the epistles, those letters of Paul and the disciples of Paul, There is always a beautiful reality that is portrayed in the struggles and the authenticity of what is shared with us in the Old Testament. There we really see humanity on full display, not perfected by Christ's love and grace, but instead in all of the audacity of humankind, we see the mistakes that our spiritual ancestors made and that unfortunately many of us continue to make today. So where do we find ourselves in this text here? 
What we find is that the people have come out of the Exodus. They have been liberated from their slavery and their bondage in Egypt. They have come to Mount Sinai. They have entered joyfully into the covenant there where God says, I am your God and you are my people. And they gave their assent. And then they started working toward entering into the promised land. The future seemed so bright and beautiful to them. There was a place that they could call their own. While living as aliens in Egypt, they had been repeatedly sequestered, isolated, even ghettoized. And there they were seen as second-class citizens at the very best. And at worst, they weren't even human. They were slaves. And then they had been freed. Their God had heard their cries, sent to them one who would lead them to liberation, and then had done so through mighty acts and wonders. And they had continued to journey slowly but surely toward this promised land, the same land that had been promised in covenant to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can imagine the excitement and the the building of momentum as they travel. And then it comes time to send in some spies to look into this land, to see what the next steps will be. And while they are chosen, they go and for 40 days, they look at the land. And the report that they come back, have that comes back is divided. The first is that, yes, it is truly, as God said, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, which is biblical code for the natural resources are amazing here. There is sufficient fresh water. There are lots of green pastures. This would be a perfect place for us to settle down and to raise our families, and it will provide for our flocks and our herds. What a wonderful place God is giving to us. We will not have to battle the land. The land will freely give us what we need. But then there's another side of the report, and that is that the land is not empty. There are people living there, not just people, really big people, people who look like giants compared to us, and they look like really fierce warriors. And who are we to be battling those people? We are those that have been tired for generation after generation, abused and enslaved, and we are restless. And now we have warfare, occupation to look forward to. The people understandably get this report and say, I'm afraid. In fact, I'm terrified. I'm afraid of what tomorrow will look like and how we will do this. But instead of doing what we are called as believers in God to do, which is immediately to go to God and say, what do we do? We are afraid. We are scared. We get these reports. And while it seems like a wonderful place, God, how are we going to do this? How is it going to happen? Help us to feel secure in what you've asked us to do. What would you have us do to make the promise a reality? Instead, they decide to slough off their leadership, hold their own election for a new leader, and hightail it back to Egypt. That's their new plan. And it offends God. I'm sure it breaks the heart of Moses and Aaron who have been leading them up to this point. And I'm sure it devastates Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies that had gone and seen with their own eyes, tasted and heard with their own earthly vessels, and experienced the promise of the promised land. And in that moment, there's a decision to be made. Do they go along with the crowd? Do they throw up their hands and just give up entirely? What do they do? Our scripture began with Moses 
interceding on behalf of these people. Moses, who's had them continually give him hardship, complaints, arguing, destruction. Moses is once more asking God to forgive them. And God says, oh, I will forgive, but I'm not going to forget where we are. If they don't trust me, I cannot give them the land. If they do not trust me and respect me enough to at least have the conversation with me, then there's no point in leading them forward into this gift of the promised land. Instead, I will make a new plan for them. I will have the same plan for their children and their children's children. They will inherit this land, but this generation is not ready, not physically, mentally, but especially spiritually. They are not going to be able to do the hard work. And trust me, for no one can take the promised land without me, says the Lord. And so the new plan is we're going to wander 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land. And at the end of that 40 years, no one age 20 or older will be alive. That generation will have lived its life and died in the wilderness. And their children, all of those who are 19 and younger and those who will be born in the years to come, they will have a new beginning. They will be the ones that will be raised to believe in the trust, believe in the hope, and believe in their God. And with them, the future will be planted. So try to imagine that you are Caleb or Joshua. You've done everything that's been asked of you. When Moses asked you to go into the promised land and scout it out for the people so that they could plan their next steps, you did it. For 40 days, you had the opportunity to experience with your own body exactly what God had said it would be. And you probably got excited. You were energized and you were hopeful. Even though you saw there were going to be some trials, there were going to be some difficult things, but you knew that God had been with all of God's people up until this point. And you had seen God do incredible, miraculous things. So with faith in your heart and great expectation in your spirit, you came back and your report fell on deaf ears. They didn't hear about the promise and the hope. Instead, they heard the naysayers. They heard those that were fearful and had anxiety. And that was the message that the people of Israel took to heart. And you find yourself in an alarming minority. Only Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb believed that they could go forward and that God would be with them when they did. And so when this sentence comes down from God, this older generation is not going to inherit. You could imagine yourself being Joshua or Caleb and going, I've had enough. Are you kidding? I've actually been in the land and now it's going to be 40 years before I get to go back. They were young adults, but they weren't two. And the next 40 years was going to be spent in hardship, traveling around endlessly, wandering in a wilderness that was not hospitable to planting and reaping. It was not hospitable to the flocks and the herds. Now everything was going to be really hard for a long time in the foreseeable future. But what did they choose to do? They choose to, chose to continue to follow God wholeheartedly, says the scripture. They did not 
turn their back on God. They did not walk away from God's people who are their people. Instead, they decided that what they had been raised and taught to do, to have faith in God and to believe in the promise and to adhere to the covenant, that is what they would do. Even as they grew older by four decades with a people whose path and decisions did not match their own. They would become the foundation for those next generations to go into this promised land and truly reap the reward that had been promised to them. In fact, Joshua and Caleb not only continue to do what God asks and stay in right relationship with God, that doesn't mean they didn't sin and didn't have their own shortcomings, but they used reconciliation, the means of grace available to them to continue to work on their relationship with God and continue forward so that in the end, not even Moses and Aaron got to go into the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb did. And they conquered and they settled there and they raised their families there. And their families would be the first to really experience what it is to be settled in the promised land and to plant the next chapters of our story as God's people. And we have that same opportunity now. We are experiencing so much division and so much separation and anxiety and fear. And whether it's about the results of the election, the process of the election, what it is to be living in isolation, the fear that so many have right now about their bodily health, confronting their own mortality, the struggles that all of life and especially life in isolation bring as it assaults our health in mind and spirit. We recognize that people are not in the best place and that we certainly don't all agree on where we go from here. But the one thing that the Bible tells us over and over again is that if we continue to follow God wholeheartedly and place our faith in what Christ says, then that is the way forward. Because God doesn't look at us and judge us based upon how we voted, the affiliation that we consider ourselves. God is not moved by our status in this country as legal, naturalized, or illegal. God sees all of us as who God created us to be, in the image of our divine maker, endowed with dignity, and loved and known from before the day of our birth. We are a people of a God who has forgiven us when we couldn't even forgive ourselves. We are a people that have experienced the grace and the ministry of Jesus Christ, one that does not gloat over those that have lost or those that have come out on the opposite end of a trial and tribulation. One of the most important things is to determine where we go from here. No matter how you felt when you woke up this morning, now is the time where you determine where you go from here, emotionally, verbally, physically, and spiritually, including what you will project out onto the internet and the world and how you will engage with the world your neighbors, your family, your friends, your siblings in Christ, and all of those that you will come to meet who might be strangers to you, but are beloved children of God of others. This is a time for us to remember over and over again that it's not about an elect, a small group of people that God loves. John 3.16 reminds us in a profound way that God so loved the world, all of us, and it is for all of us 
that Christ has come. And it is for all of us that we are called into ministry in Christ's name. We can try to parsec that a little bit into there are people that I am more effective with or people that agree with me more and try to focus on those people. But that is not the way of Jesus Christ. Instead, we serve a Savior who saw us as those that were to reach out to all people. Our Savior says to us that we shall love our neighbors, whether we want them to be our neighbor or not, and that we will pray for our enemies, not gloat over them, not issue snide and snarky remarks to remind them that they are not the same as us or that they came out on the losing end of an election. Instead, we are called to be a people who are continually working towards reconciliation and looking at how we move closer to our promised land. Jesus didn't come just to give us a little bit of intangible hope or some esoteric sense of salvation. Jesus came to remind us that how we live our lives as his followers here and now and in our days ahead is about paving the way to the kingdom to come. And there is a place there for every person, all of the world. But only if we do our duty and put our place first, instead of looking at how we might answer the world or serve the world. The world loves to have people and groups in opposition, but that is not the way of Christ. When Christ resurrected triumphantly on that first Easter, He didn't appear to those that had killed him over whom he triumphed. He didn't go to Pontius Pilate and the Romans. He didn't go to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and say, see, you lose. I was right. Instead, Jesus went to those who were mourning, those who were lost and confused, anxious and afraid. And Jesus showed them love, allowed them to experience the ministry of the resurrection, which is to remind us that, Not even death can beat our Savior to give us hope and assurance and to bring those that had fled in separation physically and in their minds back together and send them to one another, sending those that had come to the tomb to mourn back to share the good news that they had not been forsaken or forgotten, but that God was coming to them in a new way for a new world and a bright and beautiful new future. We are offered that, not only in our time of need, but to be vessels of it in the time and need of others. And that will be very important because one of the things that truly struck me over the course of the last week is how broken and divided our country is, how broken and divided my circle of friends is, people within my own family, because we didn't all agree. And I'm left wondering, how do we find reconciliation now? How do we get everyone together and continue to move forward? There is only one that can lead us forward. And it's not someone that we hope to elect. It is the one that came to serve us. And that is Jesus Christ. We need to focus ourselves on Christ. Now, this past week, I also had the opportunity to attend virtually a continuing education event. And in that event, fellow Methodist clergy from all over the Virginia Annual Conference were on screen together as we were doing our mandatory ethics training for each quadrennium. And as we were discussing this, one of my colleagues chose to share a story out of his appointment. 
And in his appointment, the church had decided that they were going to go into an economically depressed neighborhood. And there they were going to help those people get registered to vote. Now, whether or not you agree with that mission project, I want you to hear what happened. Someone in the congregation didn't agree with that, but they did the right thing. They decided to have a holy conversation and went to this pastor. And together they shared why the church had made that decision and what the hopes and the dreams of that mission project were. And then this person that objected was able to share their concerns and what they had hoped to see. And one of the things that was shared was that those people don't vote like us. They are different than us. And if we give them this power, they won't use it as we would. It's a stark reminder that we are not called to make other people like us. We are not called as Christians to make other people worship like us or pray like us or have the exact same beliefs in the nuances of doctrinal and denominational differences. We are called by Jesus Christ to love people and to serve them, specifically with our preaching and teaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, by giving them this encounter, these experiences with the risen Christ, the hope is that Christ will then be able to transform them. Not into us, but into something better. I remember having my child, and people would say, well, maybe he'll grow up to be just like you. I hope not. I hope that my child grows up to be better than me. I hope that I have learned things from being a child and growing into adulthood. And I hope that at the end of the day, when I am gone, that he will be so much better than I ever was. Not that he will grow up to be a pastor, but that he will grow up to be a more devout and impactful Christian than I have ever been. That is precisely what we do when we look to the next generation. And that's not generation by age. That is the next generation of those at whatever age, whatever nation, race, gender, whatever category, that choose to experience Jesus Christ and claim him for themselves. May they be better than we are. What kind of failure would we be as the body of Christ, the church, if we wanted our heyday to be behind us? Jesus says, I am making things new. And the best days and the best place for all people is before you. And so we must live, speak, work, and endeavor together for that holy truth. For there are far too many people that don't know what it is to be loved unequivocally. There are far too many people that don't know that they cannot just be forgiven, but they can be loved and experience God's transformative grace that they can truly be the best them that they could ever hope to be. And that's our job this day. May we become like Joshua and Caleb, who in the midst of struggle and in the midst of brokenness, choose to keep their eye on God, to do what they know is right, what not only they have been raised to do that is right, but what God says is right. And in the end, because of their faithfulness and their fidelity to the covenant, they are the ones that will bring the next generation that much closer to experiencing the goodness and the grace of God. That is the best, most redemptive hope 
that we could have this day. And that will unite us. It will bring us back together and refocus us on the one that matters above all. For there is only one that will endure beyond this life, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we find commonality. May we begin to refocus and recenter ourselves around our Lord. For when all has passed away, the sea and this world, Christ will bring us into a place where all people, no matter how they lived or how they voted or how they died, have the opportunity to embrace God's grace and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May that be the hope that we not only cling to this day, but the seeds of hope that we plant in the hearts and the relationships that we have in the days to come. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, one now and forever. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.